Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. Thank you for joining us again for another episode in this uh, mini-series on open and relational theology. Today our guest is Dr. Robert Cornwell. Tim stumbled across Bob online. Uh, He'd written an article that interested Tim and so we looked him up and decided to squeeze him in at the end of this mini-series. And so we had a delightful conversation around some of his work, his writing, his thinking, and he was kind enough to share with us some of his experiences and let us poke and ask some questions around his experiences of God and his thinking around that. So this is the last episode in our series. Following this will be a conclusion from Tim and I, and then maybe some bonus content. You can keep your eyes open for that uh, on the Facebook page and, and through the podcast channel. But anyway, thank you for listening, and let's get across to the conversation. So, Bob, I've had a very, very, very sort of surface-level, quick familiarity with you. Um, I'm, I'm not all that familiar with your with your writing and scholarship, etc. Um, and so, this will be as for my benefit as mo- as well as for our listeners. I'd love it if you could take us through a little bit of your history and some of your story. Um, and that can be as wide-ranging as you would like. Um, hopefully, preferably not a 30-second synopsis of the last whatever, 20, 30, 40, whatever it might be years. Um, but take us as wide and as broad and as deep as you'd like um, to give us a sense of who you are and, and what you're busy with and what you do and what's brought you to this point. And in particular, would love to take you back, however far that is, to how you might describe your earliest experiences of God. All right. Well, thanks, Steve. So um, I'll start with where I'm at right now, and then we'll, we'll jump back uh, 63 years in the past. Awesome. Um, so <laughs> I am recently retired as a disciple, uh, Disciples of Christ pastor, Christian Church Disciples of Christ, which mm. may, uh, to many of your listeners, not be a a known quantity. We're an American-born denomination that um, emerged on the American frontier in the um, early 19th century. The founders were mostly Scots. Uh, Presbyterians came to the United States, influenced by the Enlightenment, and uh, eventually developed a, a movement we call the Stone Campbell Movement, which has a couple of branches and I'm uh, ordained and have served as minister within the disciples um, uh, for quite a number of years. Uh, so that's where I where I am now, though I am currently in retirement preaching for right now in a, a pres- Presbyterian church. So uh, I get around. Mm. But uh, my journey begins, we might say, uh, when I was I was born into a, a family that was Episcopalian. I was baptized uh, in the Episcopal Church. I grew up in that. I served uh, as an acolyte. Um, and so for, in many ways, I've been in the church all my life. I, I know nothing other than being part of church. Uh, I have sung in choir. I've done everything uh, from being an acolyte um, to, uh, to being a pastor, So and even a theological educator. So Uh, I've covered all the bases. So that was my origins uh, as an Episcopalian. Uh, Grew up in that, was influenced by that. It's part of who I am. Uh, Later on uh, in high school, uh, like many, I I had uh, a 
conversion experience uh, and left the Episcopal Church, uh, became part of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel, the, the uh, mm. church founded by Amy Semple McPherson. So I'm, uh, uh, I have a pen. So I started Episcopalian and then moved to being, a, uh, to being Pentecostal. Uh, and was that uh, for a number of years? I went to a college related to the disciples, not knowing who the disciples were, but went to the school, to a college, uh, what was then known as Northwest Christian College, now Bushnell University. And um, over my four years there uh, began, I learned more about this other tradition, uh, which had more of a, a rational um, reasoned approach to, to religion, mm. uh, to Christianity. And that attracted me because I was finding that while uh, the, the Foursquare was helpful and influential in who I was. There was something missing that I want. I needed. Uh, I needed my mind um, uh, to be affirmed in, in a way that I wasn't seeing that. Uh, so, um, but then I really, at that point, didn't know what I was. Mm -hmm. uh, I was still exploring that. I went to uh, Fuller Theological Seminary for. An, originally for a master of arts degree, uh, figuring I would uh, um, study towards a PhD in church history, uh, not knowing exactly what I would be. I ended up uh, spending a couple of years uh, attending an evangelical covenant church before finally having to decide who I was, uh, if I, because I had switched to an MDiv degree. Uh, and uh, that required uh, mm -hmm. having some kind of connection to a denomination. And the evangelical covenant didn't seem to be the direction that I would take. And so I, a friend of mine who was a disciple said to me, I think disciples should, would fit you. And so there I, uh, I ended up disciple. But even then, after my ordination as a disciple, I've spent time among the Baptists and the Presbyterians and a lot of different other groups. So I'm a, a rather eclectic uh, journey. Like I said, I've always been in the church, but not always in the same church and same denomination. Uh, and all of that has helped contribute to who I am. Um, I value the life of the mind, but I, like, I value... Um, the spirit, uh, and uh, I've written about spiritual gifts. I uh, have a book called Unfettered Spirit, in which I explore that. Mm. Uh, and then my lar larger experience, uh, I just published a book called Called the Bless, in which um, I really explore my own background, the, the, uh, the different elements. And I, I talk there about spiritual DNA, that uh, we're, we contribute <laughs> or mm. uh, spiritual DNA is contribute to into our lives, our spiritual mm. lives as we, as we take this journey. Mm. And um, so, you know, I've had spiritual experiences that have been dramatic, but I'll, I'll give you an example. So mm. back when I was in high school um, in a Pentecostal church, but not have experiencing having not spoken in tongues, which seemed to be the expectation 
Yeah. Um, so I was at a I was at a little revival at our church, and um, the, on the last night of the event, the, the the speaker was praying for people to uh, to receive the gift, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I was struggling with that, so I go forward. He lays hands on me. Um, he says, kind of mumble after me. That's not what he said, um, but <laughs> I kind of followed the direction. Um, and, uh, I, I started speaking in tongues. So here's the fun, interesting part of that was rather than it being an ecstatic experience for me, it was a relief. I felt relief that, uh, I could get, this was this expectation of me. I could, uh, now I could move on with my spiritual life, uh, having made sure that I've taken care of that. Uh, through my life, periodically, I've drawn on that, with, you know, it's called uh, prayer language or whatever. Um, but being disciple, that's not part of our tradition. So it's not one that's emphasized, but it's part of the part of my DNA. Mm. Uh, so um, mm. anyway, so then I, uh, I ended up doing a PhD in church history at Fuller. Uh, I studied uh, Anglicanism. I was going back and uh, exploring my own roots. Uh, I pursued academic uh, context, but that didn't uh, work out ultimately. And um, I ended up uh, in at age 40 as a pastor of a church, a disciples congregation in Santa Barbara. And uh, I've been until my retirement, I served th uh, three disciple churches two in California and, and, uh, and now uh, for the past 13 years prior to retirement here in, in Troy, Michigan. Hmm. So that kind of covers a, a, a wide uh, background. I've been a lot hmm. of different things in a lot of different places since, uh, especially since I've been here in, in Troy, but even before that I was involved in interfaith work uh, and I have a strong, Troy is a very, religiously and ethnically diverse community, large Asian population. Okay. Uh, so um, I, I count among my closest friends, a Hindu woman who is our state rep, um, mm. several Muslims um, and, uh, and, and several Jews. Um, so th they are, they're part of my, uh, my inner circle, you might say, the people that I'm closest to, they're, mm. they're people, um, whose religious traditions are different than mine, but who, whose friendship has nourished my own spiritual journey. Mm. Sure. Thanks, Rob. That's a, that's a phenomenal sort of um, 10,000 foot view over a life of <laughs> tremendous diversity, it sounds like, but also mm. I feel as though you're just nodding at every now and then and hinting at some some uh, amazing experiences as you move through this eclectic mix of, of um, mm. church spaces and I imagine the people there and what you're busy with and you mentioned interfaith work. Um, <clears throat> that's, wow, thank you. That's a, that's a fantastic starting point. I'd love to, uh, to dig into a couple of points on that timeline, if sure. you may. Yeah. Can I take you back to, uh, to this? So this is high school experiences, teenagers, right? Correct. I always have to make sure I'm, I'm in line with, uh, with what the U.S. is doing in terms of schooling. It's very different from my experience. So, okay, so as a teenager, what, 15, 16 or so? Yeah. Okay. 
And you have this experience at uh, the last evening of a revival. Actually, I was 18. At that point, it was, okay. uh, uh, it was the summer before I headed off to, uh, to college. Okay. Um, so, uh, but I had um, a couple of years before that had, had moved over to this church. Uh, they had a Bible study. I first started going to the Bible study and then mm. uh, eventually to, um, I found myself more, partly was friendship circles um mm. that i that i felt drawn to the just if i was going to do this uh move over to this church uh, i have to say it was a difficult time in my life um mm. my parents had divorced my mother had remarried um so uh, and, and that marriage was um a difficult one for my mother and for the for us sure. so it was a it was a period of of, of turmoil and mm. And more than anything, at that point in my life, uh, one of the reasons why I moved in that direction uh, to that church was uh, it became a, a friendship circle. Um, and so, um, mm. it, and so it was part of part of a, a of a need to be part of a community. And this was a a, a group of largely um, like the youth ministers might be two years older than the than the oldest of the kids in the high school kids, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, we were kind of self-led and it, but it, uh, the music and all kind of fit. And mm. I, I found myself the Episcopal church at the time. Um, you know, I was needing something different mm -hmm. and my, the priest would, would try to address my questions and concerns but I, by this time, I bought into a, a very conservative theological uh, interpretation of reading of scripture. And, mm. and uh, mm. Father Green was a good old, uh, broad, uh, liberal Episcopalian, Episcopalian <laughs> uh, who tried to explain to, to me in our Sunday school class um, the uh, historical critical model of interpretation. And uh, that just wasn't doing it for me. Mm. Um, uh, when I, well, as I was um, needing to hear how, because of the, what I, I'm reading, how Lindsay and, and other um, apocalyptic books and listening to uh, Christian music, uh, Larry Norman and uh, Barry mm -hmm. McGuire, you know, Eve of Destruction, and I wish we'd all mm -hmm. been ready. So that Episcopal theology was just not resonating anymore mm -hmm. uh, with this now, um, apocalyptic theology that I was imbibing mm. at that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can so. imagine. Um, and, and so you talk about this, uh, this moment in being prayed for and this relief that you're talking about. And yeah. you distinguish between kind of ecstatic moment as opposed to mm. um, relief, well, relief mm. as opposed to an ecstatic moment. Can you tell me a bit more about that? What is the, have you got a sense of what is that relief? Because you, you, you sort of touched on it very briefly um, in, in terms of, um, let me put it this way. I'll put something to you. And I'm, I'm interested in your feelings around that at the time, or perhaps how you've looked back into it. Yeah. It, feel, it feels almost as you present it as if kind of just a box that can be checked so I can move on. It's, it's almost like a, a limiting factor is kind of the feeling I get from you. 
but uh, this experience hasn't happened yet. And so if I can tick the box, I can move on in terms of spiritual experiences. Is that, is, is that, am I getting you correctly on that? What, what more can you tell me about that experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, the more I had the, the message that I was receiving and it was probably more that me than was being sent to me, but the way I was receiving it and hearing it was that to fully, to be fully um, experience uh, the presence of God, uh, to be fully embraced by God, uh, in other words, to be fully saved, um, mm -hmm. I needed to have this one last experience. Um, mm -hmm. So I was, you know, baptized. I, I was baptized in the Episcopal Church as an infant. I was confirmed in the Episcopal Church. Um, later, I was at camp. I was uh, I was baptized in a creek. Um, okay. And felt, uh, that that was that was actually I think a, an important moment for me. Um, mm. It's one that's probably carried with me uh, and helped a lot in many ways define how I viewed uh, my own experiences. Though I was I've been able to unpack that a lot since then um but uh, in terms of what baptism accomplishes but mm. there was this sense that i wasn't fully fully saved that there was something missing and it wasn't so much the experience it was that in other in essence that there was another box to check um and um so then i had the experience um, and so at that point, I'm, I, I'm feeling more like, okay, I, I'm, I'm in, <laughs> like, I'm in the club now. Uh, yeah. I've been fully mm. initiated sure. uh, into yeah. the, into the community and now we can go on. And there were other things going on in my life that it just felt like, okay, this would help me with this, um, this journey. And, and I'm like, I'm, and this is probably August of uh, 1976. Okay. Uh, I am, uh, I'm going to go off to college in a month. Mm. And, uh, you know, so that was kind of like, okay, now I'm, now I'm ready, prepared for this next step in my life. Mm. Mm. And, and, and in those moments of experience, as, as you describe it, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated how you, how you talk about it, and then, and then you drop this little chestnut about the baptism that I'd also <laughs> love to come back to. Um, but if I stick with this this moment that you're describing, so uh, maybe I'm going to put it quite poorly, but go with me for a second. It, it's as if you describe kind of there's a soteriology, like there's a theological frameworky type thing going on with the box ticking. Mm -hmm. But if I think phenomenologically and relationally was it far less of that was was it so when you talk about you know ecstatic versus relief right um is it is it an experience that that has a sense of relational engagement with god or or it's a phenomena happening or is there more of the sense of of it's almost a theological framework kind of thing that's just do you know what I mean? That that sort of uh, yeah, faith statements of belief tick boxes kind of experience. Is there anything in that that has a more relational phenomena type feeling to mm. it? 
And, and I, I if think, not, do you contrast that with other moments that do have that? I, I hope I'm, that's clear enough as <laughs> mud to go with. Right. So I think at the moment that uh, it felt like, I mean, there was a sense of ecstatic experience, but it was mm. muted mm. at that moment. Over time, there have been moments in my life where I have felt there are things going on in my life. Mm. Uh, I can't think of a specific moments at the mo right now, but I mean, th throughout my life, since then, there have been moments where I have felt like uh, I don't know how to pray. Mm. And, uh, and at those, in those moments, it, it might be a family situation. It, uh, mm -hmm. you know, somebody uh, or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm in a moment of crisis in my own life, mm. uh, mm. at that moment. And I've just kind of let loose and prayed in tongues. Mm -hmm. and, and in those moments, I felt drawn and I felt peace. Not ecstatic so much as just a sense of peace that, that um, I've, I've been in a conversation with God hmm. that um, enables me to, uh, to make sense of the situation and, and know that the situation will be resolved. So I think it's it was that initial moment it was one of relief, but over time, and it doesn't happen very often, but I know it's there. It's part of who I am. Yeah. And um, and over the years, I one of the reasons why I wrote the book Unfettered Spirit was to to uh, explore this part of my life um, that I had come to to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what, what does that involve? And so I, you know, I taught mm. in Bible studies and, re, you know, re retreats for churches. And I, I taught a course on spiritual gifts at the college I taught at. And so I had all of this mm. material that I had been accumulating over the years and, and finally uh, wrote the book, but I still wasn't sure. Mm. It was funny. Uh, I had finished the manuscript and I had shared it with uh, Amos Young, who at the time was still at Regent University, mm. he had come out to my church to, uh, to do a, a seminar on uh, the Bible and disability. So I'm driving him to the airport and he had read through my manuscript and, and, and I said to, uh, somehow I, I was saying in my conversation with Amos about being a ex Pentecostal or a former Pentecostal. And Amos said, why do you keep on saying that? Why not just own it? It's part of who you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, that was a, a really a helpful moment that I was able to, to integrate that, wow. that element um, and no longer say that's, I'm kind of moved away from that. It's part of who I am. Uh, another, it was kind of an interesting in a different context a few years ago, um, I was at, I was on my sabbatical and I, I went to Ox, spent two weeks in Oxford. Mm. So, uh, I was, uh, uh after seven o'clock at night in Oxford, there's, there's two places to go. There's the pubs, um, <laughs> and, uh, then, and then there are the, uh, the even song. You have a choice, pub or even song. So I'd gone down to, I spent several evenings going down to, um, 
to Christchurch Cathedral, a small, it's a small cathedral there mm. at Christchurch College in Oxford. And my, I, I had this experience of just, of with the even song with the, the men and boys choir there, these little boys, you know, the sing soprano, mm. uh, and just the ethereal na nature of that experience. And uh, I, my inner Anglican uh, came out. I mean, I really was like, okay, this is, <laughs> yeah. again, it's part of who I am. Sure, uh, sure. Not that I had, my, my son would always say I'm a high church disciple because I love liturgy. <laughs> okay. I love that. Disciples are kind of low church, but uh, there's, sure. this, there's this element of me that appreciates liturgy uh, and mm. the Episcopal, but I really, it was, and I've been to different Episcopal services, but being mm. there in Oxford on sabbatical mm. with Evensong and a very different experience, I was like, I had this sense of God's presence in a way that mm. I don't regularly feel it. So now that was relatively recently, mm. um, but, mm. it, uh, but it touched base with part of something that had been probably planted in me uh, many, many uh, years before when I was a child in the Episcopal Church. Mm. It's fascinating. So, I imagine also quite, this is somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but uh, having grown up Anglican myself, I imagine also it's a somewhat rare experience to have mm. a, <laughs> a, deep, uh, a deep moment with God in Evensong. Um, I wonder how many people would, uh, would tell that kind of story as well. But um, sure, Tim, you're yeah. gonna. I, I was I was actually just gonna um just gonna push into that and mm. and just ask you to elaborate on that. You know, when you when you speak about a deep moments, and I'm I'm backtracking. I don't quite have the the exact words that you use, but there's there's some sense of felt presence and some sense of um. Well, I I don't want to throw too many ideas out that might shape the way that you that that you unpack it, but. But is it possible to take us back to that experience and just explore it? And and you know, um, you know what 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 was it like? What did you what did you experience? You know, it, if you're able to. Yeah, it's of course it's been about eight years uh, since since then. I, I, it's hard to explain. It was it, but it was it was more a sense of being home with God. You know, like this is. This feels right. Uh, that it's, um, and I'd never experienced even song before, so it wasn't like this was uh, something that I had experienced before. Uh, it wasn't the Eucharistic services that I, I experienced uh, on the two sun. Well, actually three of them, but it was the even song. It was a very different experience for me. Uh, so um, it was just a sense that, that this is home, this belongs, this is part of who I am in my spiritual life. I, sh I should say that disciples, as a disciple, one of the things that attracted me to the disciples is that it has this enlightenment dimension where um, that reason is important. And so um, one of the things in terms of baptism, the way disciples have understood baptism, especially in, in the early days, the founders uh, were responding to uh, expectation within a revivalistic Presbyterianism that uh, you needed to, if you were to go to receive the, the Lord's Supper, you had to narrate your spiritual experience. Or if you were going to get 
whatever, you know, to be saved, you had to narrate your spiritual experience. And um, one of the reasons why the disciple message, the, the Stone Campbell message, or especially the Alexander Campbell's message resonated on the frontier was that if you had been baptized, uh, then you knew several things following Acts in Acts chapter two, that number one, uh, that if you were baptized, that you had received forgiveness and you had received the gift of the spirit. So whether or not you had a spiritual experience was irrelevant because it, the, the point is you are, you are in the family because you have been baptized. So you don't have to look back and say, okay, I had, I spoke in tongues, therefore I'm in. It's, I did this, God has promised to be faithful. So no matter what, so whether or not I've had an experience or felt experience, uh, which most of us don't have a lot of felt experiences. And through my life, I've had periodic, like maybe being there uh, at the even song was a, a sense mm. of, um, and there've been other points where I've just been maybe oftentimes uh, singing uh, a hymn, and you just feel this warmth of, of God's presence there. Um, not an ex, sort of an ecstatic experience, kind of difficult to explain. You're just this warmth, uh, mm. just from the being there and singing. And so it's one of the things why I love singing hymns, mm. uh, and especially sings, hymns that are singable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, um, and if, and Anglicans and Pentecostals write non-singable hymns, but that's a whole other thing. It's it's written into the rules, I think, the unwritten rules. So. Yes, yeah. It must be too old, high or too complex. Right, so the old gospel songs are so easy to sing. So Fanny Crosby, uh, the theology may not be the best, but boy, they're easy to sing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so if I if I contextualize this just a little bit more, I had part of sure. the theological difference between um, the Stone Campbell movement and Pentecostalism is because of how they're they're, they're separated by a um, hundred or so years, because right. the Campbells were were the the, the late seventeen hundreds, the mid eighteen hundreds, yeah, early eighteen hundreds, and and, and uh, Pentecostalism is is an early twentieth century. Correct. Like development, and so, um, so in some ways they are separated uh, a little bit in time and distance. Um, but I, 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 I'm sure you'd be familiar with the term renewal mm-hmm. um, or, or revival. H- how does the revival language in the context of the Stone Campbell uh, fit or relate to how it's used in the Pentecostal and Charismatic? So what's interesting is that Barton, so there's, we kind of look to two, well, three or four founders. There's kind of the Campbell side and then there's the Stone side. But Barton Stone was um, the pastor at Cane Ridge, which was a major revival uh, Mm. in Kentucky in in the early, I think, uh, 18, uh, well, 1801. Uh, and, uh, I mean, this is a major and all kinds of interesting things are happening at, at Cane Ridge, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the descriptions of, of what's going on at Cane Ridge are, are pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so stone always embraced a, a sense of the spirit, uh, mm-hmm. that 
has some affinity with Pentecostalism, though not a fully developed Pentecostalism. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Campbells were much more the Enlightenment um, vision of a, of a rational, a very rational r- religion. And for Alexander Campbell, for the most part, he he preferred to keep keep the Holy Spirit locked up in the Bible. So um, mm-hmm. that's you know all the Holy Spirit you need is to be found in the New Testament. Which to yeah. this day, you know, one of the conversations that's happening within the larger Stone Campbell mm-hmm. tradition is um, how do we re-engage with the Holy Spirit? You know, um, mm. uh, maybe the rationalism that um, was helpful at one point may not be as helpful today mm-hmm. uh, in, this, in this context. And uh, mm. of course, being now that I've owned my Pentecostalism, <laughs> that makes me a more, uh, I have a strong affinity to that conversation. Mm. Yeah. But I still value, I still value the, imp- the, the I think what, what I've discovered in my own life is the balance between the importance of the freedom of the spirit to move in our lives, um, mm. but also to balance that with a strong sense of, you know, to, to do that doesn't mean that I, I let go of, of my mind. So mm. renewal, mm. so you talk about renewal, uh, mm. of course, there's the renewal movements, charismatic renewal movement has spread throughout, uh, you know, mainline Protestantism and Catholicism, mm. etc. So there's much more of a conversation about the role of the Spirit and the freedom that the Spirit brings to our lives. Um, mm. So uh, I, I think what I've tried to do in my own life is try to keep a balance between the rational and the and the freer sense that mm. the Spirit brings. Yeah. So, so one of the phrases you, you used in, in terms of poking at that recent experience of yours is that it's, it's hard to explain and it's hard to capture. And so I, I have a question or two following from that. Um, um, and so it's just, it's just inviting, you know, some reflection around here is um, so, so my thinking goes something like this. <laughs> is the experience hard to speak of because there isn't much place and voice to explore this kind of experience within, um, you know, the context of the movements that you've been in. Uh, Is the experience hard to explore or explain because it differs to other key markers? Like you have to speak in tongues as a key marker. It is defined. um, Mm -hmm. As long as you can check that box, we don't actually have to explore your actual experience of it. you know, within within that framework, right? As long as you can go, yes, I speak in tongues and people can go, okay, well, we might see that sometimes, but as long as you're happy, we're happy, right? You're, you're, you're part of the club. But there, there isn't an in-depth exploration of that or journeying with that with people. Um, and then uh, I'm just going to phrase the question in, in a different way or two as well, just so that there's, you know, some of the nuance can come out. Um, is Is it partly hard to explain because it remains a visceral primal experience for you, but one that is, is seldom spoken of or seldom prioritized as though this is, a, this is actually a key or, or, a, or a regularly sought experience. Um, you know, uh, I did pre-warn you earlier that we'd sometimes do a ramble and then go, <laughs> is there a question in there somewhere? Yeah. I, I, think I, this is, I think this is what, for me, my starting point. So is the is the rational that um, that 
I have always believed, um, whether I've had experience or not. Mm. And so the experiences come and go. Mm. They're never, I would never say that they, I've had huge spiritual highs. Mm. Uh, at the same time, I've never had, well, I've had spiritual lows, but those had more to do with situations in my life. Um, I've been fired a couple of, when, when you, when you, uh, when you're, when you have to resign from your, 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 your ministry, um, because the, uh, you're not growing the church fast enough. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Or, or whatever. I mean, uh, when I, after a college, v- 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 valuable I, ways, valuable experiences to affirm that we love you and you're called. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah, was, sure. uh, when you have a man, member of the church that suggests that you need to go get to a career counselor, uh, wow. to discern uh, uh, a, a, um, a different pathway, <laughs> uh, sure, you know, so there have been times in where those, those are spiritual lows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I, I, uh, so like that, at that church, that was the church I served in Santa Barbara. Uh, I, after that, I didn't know, I mean, whether I would ever do this again, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of clergy, it's like you've, you're damaged goods. Um, mm. But I was uh, I was asked to to, uh, to serve kind of an in, in interim part time capacity of a church uh, nearby, an hour away from where we lived in Santa Barbara, and they were go- they had just come out through a, a difficult patch, and I'd come through a difficult patch, um, and our time together was such a healing moment. We healed together. Mm. Um, yeah. They were a gracious, loving people. Um, little different uh you know there were uh, kind of blue collar folks um mm. for the most part some teachers and stuff mm. but um you know they were just good people down to earth people and we just healed together sure. so is that a spiritual experience i, I would say yes because mm. it was just that here's a community that's provided a sense of peace um mm. it's funny right now i i retired I mean, COVID for clergy has been, was horrendous, you know, mm, folding yeah, things yeah, together. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'd already decided that I was going to retire before COVID. Uh, mm. But, you know, after being through COVID, um, in fact, I had announced my, my intended plan of retirement uh, with 18 months out. I did so almost 18 months, uh, a month before everything shut down. Wow. You know, and so for a year, basically for a year and a half, we were uh, my last, my last almost year and a half of ministry. We were pretty much, you know, a small group who could come. uh, And uh, I kind of held things together. And um, so I was, I was ready, you know, and so I stepped away. Well, in the meantime, I was asked uh, the the pastor of the church I'm preaching at. He he's National Guard and got to, called up to be deployed, um, and so needed somebody. And I'm nearby, and I know the congregation. The congregation sort of knows me. I'm a different denomination, but uh, well, we worked this thing out. And uh, you know, for the first time in a long time. Um, we're still dealing with COVID, but I don't have any of the administrative responsibilities that goes with being a pastor. I just <laughs> need to provide leadership on Sunday morning. 
and uh, and preach. And it feels so good to do what you love. Yeah. And so um, I, 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 I'm enjoying getting up. I'm enjoying being in the pulpit. I'm enjoying being with the people. Um, and without all of this other baggage that comes oftentimes with, with ministry. Uh, so I'm, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the community, which means I'm enjoying God's presence because of the connection. It's freeing. I've been freed up from some of the, the, the concerns and baggage that comes with uh, being a, a professional uh, churchgoer. Mm. Mm. Even though this, I'm getting paid to go to church. There's, <laughs> <laughs> there's something that's a little bit elusive here that i'm trying to put my finger on um i i can enjoy the company of of many people in public and during events and that but i really like to take time out to connect with people one-on-one too and have like a deeper conversation right or a a one-on-one and and both are important and 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 i I feel i'm feeling a little bit like as i'm as i'm trying to uh, ask and you know push towards for instance this one key experience that you had recently um and recently i'm um, you know eight years ago um I, I feel like it's the answer's a bit elusive you know so 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 yes on on the table is all the sense of like in the fullness of things we have diverse experiences of god and we do experience god in community but right. then we also experience God draw near to us in a very intimate way, as in, Bob, I'm drawing near to you. And we're having a quiet moment together, and this is a deep moment. And, and, and in, in asking questions about that, I'm, 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 I'm trying to understand that experience rather than, you know, within the broader Christian tradition, we've got these easy ways to go. Well, right. the Spirit is everywhere in the world, so we're never separate from the Spirit, you know. Um, you know, God is always at work, so we're always in touch with what God is doing, even if we don't realize it. None of those end up being relational. That's uh, God is having at things and, and busy in and around us, and we're not noticing. You know, if I spent um, 20 years sharing a, a, a house with someone, and, and we just have at it without taking time out for intimate moments together. And by intimate, I don't just mean, you know, sexual intimates. I mean, relational moments. So going out for coffee on a Friday morning right. and spending that quiet time together. I, you know, if, if someone is asking me about my relationship and they, they're looking to that area of my life and they're wondering how I'm doing in that relationship and, and I'm not able to answer or I struggle to answer Questions emerge around intimacy, the language of intimacy, the quality of that one-on relationship, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like in general, Christianity, um, um, Christianity struggles in this area because the closer anyone anyone pushes or the closer I feel I push to the question of, of tell me about that experience, we, we almost justify it and explain it away by collapsing it into everything else. And yet this is a, this is a distinct experience. And it's right. an important experience and it, it, it is vital to everyone's spiritual life. And in the absence of it, people often reflect that they struggle. Um, I, I know people have gone their whole lives in ministry and they're going, I don't hear God speak to me. I don't experience God drawn into me. And other people basically going, we don't need that because we've got the theology that says we don't need presence. We don't need experience. And so like we've, we've got those, those as extremes, people that are, right are hungry for engagement and people that go, well, we don't even need that because we've got faith. And then in between, we've, we've, we've almost got 
people who do experience, but the, the language and the exploration thereof escapes us and there isn't space for it and it's not prioritized. And so aside from the, you know, the, the classic sales pitch testimony where it, it gets put in a particular nutshell, I was a horrible person, mm. my life sucked, I came to Jesus, <laughs> hurrah, you know, I now wear crocodile shoes and I preach on the pulpit. <laughs> I'm being extremely facetious here. Right. right. <laughs> so, so to caricature it, to, to put it in a completely different box, to take it out of even the, the possibility or the hints that that get me understood as anything other than just the, the Mac faith machinery, because, because often that is put in such a strict marketing box and that, that it starts losing any reality. Right. Um, um, you know, because people tell stories to be part of something, it becomes a checkbox for them to tell their testimony or whatever. Um, so, so I, in wrestling for this, I'm, I'm really wanting to get away from that diffuse and, and try to get into that experience. You know, what, 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 what is it like to be in that even song and experience God drawn near to you? What, what is that experience? How do you know it's God? What is that what does it feel like? And so, so again, this is this is not a murky thing, and it's 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 definitely not a crit criticism. It's a it's an exploration. Right. You know, I'm, this is this is an area that we're really wanting to push into a nuance because, for for me at least, the relational presence of God differs from God's relationship as Creator and Sustainer. You know, God is 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 involved everywhere, every when, um, in every how throughout you know, the cosmos and throughout all our lives and our relationships. And, and that basically means that God is as close to my teacup as God is to, to, to Satan <laughs> in that sense. It doesn't, it doesn't really explore any of the relationality of God or God's drawing near in person and withdrawing. And, and, and I, I struggle to find opportunity and place to explore this in ways that it doesn't just get explained away. So, so that's, that's just a bit of, of some of my thinking around this, because this is such a valuable category that that I think in the way that we would nuance this in an intimate relationship between lovers, to mm -hmm. speak of, of of the divine lover and to go, but we don't take time out to love each other, and and it's okay if it happens once in a lifetime or only at coming to faith or it's not something that's expected or sought. And I'm not saying that you're saying that. I just want right. to I just want to clarify that. So I'm just I'm just generalizing and. You know, just exploring something. Yeah, um, does it does it make sense? How do you, how, how do you feel about that? So, <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, it's. I think that the challenge um, is that in my own context, in my own life, um, I. I know God is present with me. I, I believe that to be true. Um, I am an emotional person, though I, 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 I have learned to control that part of who I am. Um, I think part of the part of who I am and the way I experience God's presence um, may be a bit muted in my reaction to the expectations that were thrown at me in Pentecostalism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so. Um, which, which in itself is a valuable dis discussion and area to explore. Cause I, I, um, 
I think we can all appreciate that there's a there's a hype factor, there's a manipulation factor, there's a there's a theater factor that we all want to get away from when we're looking for the reality, right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, mountaintop experiences are few and far between. Mm. You know, you might think of it in that way. Um, and um, I, I, you know, part of this rational tradition of what, I, what I'm part of um, allows me to, to make the affirmation that God is present and in relation, I'm in relationship with God, you know, even though I may not always feel it. Um, uh, when you put your, when you're a part of a rational uh, tradition, feelings are um, less of they, a concern. They've minim they minimized, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're minimized too. Um, and so um, it's not that we don't, there's not room to explore it. It's um, it's just that you you don't you you may su suppress the the need a little mm. bit, mm. Uh, and you may find that your experience of God's presence may be um, in other in other forms in in relationships with people. Um, for me, in writing uh, in. Uh, reading and especially my writing provides me an opportunity to to explore uh, my faith um, mm. to put it into words uh, to express the the sense of faithfulness of God mm. uh, even when I don't necessarily feel that um, in a ecstatic emotional way um, and that's probably part of who I am. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I think partly too, is that it's there may be, I mean, my, you, I think in terms of my own journey through all of these traditions, there, there it may be an expression of a certain restlessness, spiritual restlessness that is present mm. uh, that um, I'm continually looking at different ways of being, uh, of experiencing that. And um, so the, the essay, you know, it, Timothy, that you uh, that, uh, led you to, to invite me to have this conversation, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm writing about uh, Gregory Palamas. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's why, why am I, why am I engaged in the, in this conversation exploration Part of it has a lot to do with uh, my, my son uh, went off to uh, graduate school and was uh, studying interreligious studies at Claremont School of Theology. And, mm -hmm. and uh, he took a class on orthodoxy and we began this conversation. And he, um, I, I, it wasn't like I'm not familiar with, with these folks, but mm -hmm. um, in the conversation, uh, and dis I discovered. Um, I discovered Palamas uh, through our my conversation with Brett and uh, mm. and found um, this this is kind of an interesting uh, sense of ideas here that mm. uh, but I I'd read Vladimir Lossky uh, the mm. uh, Eastern myst uh, mystical sense of the Eastern Christianity yeah. and um, so I'm I'm finding it's like oh these are some um, ideas I don't want to be you know. 
I don't want to be uh, fully orthodox. You know, I'm not going to become an orthodox <laughs> priest. Well, my son, maybe, you know, he might end up, <laughs> yeah. end up there. I, I, I probably won't. But, uh, but, it, but here's some, a, a new avenue, a new pathway um, to explore who the nature of God and, and, uh, and the, the recognition that we can participate in the, in the nature of God without, even though we may not experience the essence of God, there are ways in which we can encounter God uh, mm. and, uh, and God is reaching out to us. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's a sense of, I, I'm, I'm finding that here's, a, here's an avenue to, to maybe help define and describe for mm. me something that maybe I'm looking for. Yeah. Maybe it's something yeah. that, that is missing in, in, my own, in my own journey and, uh, and I'm trying to tap into that. Mm. Okay. So, so I, I must just say we'll we're going to put the link to the essay um, um, on the you know just the, the show notes. notes, and then we're right. also going to get a link your your books in this as well. So, um, a, a, including this book of which it's an it's an essay and a collection of essays. Um, I, I think I, I think briefly, are you familiar with quietism in the Western stream at all, which yes. somewhat parallels? Um, it somewhat par- parallels hesychasm in a sense, um, or at least as I see it. But I, I don't know if you've explored that uh, in a way that would enable us to have a conversation and chew through that at all, or if it's just better to stay within the context of theosis and and the Eastern. I think might be a better idea. I, I, yeah, I, I have. A, I mean, I'm obviously familiar, especially with Quakerism, uh, but uh, I haven't really explored that. Uh, okay. to any degree um, yeah so, so it's the eastern tradition that's proven attractive to me yeah yeah so 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 P- palamas if i have it correctly <laughs> is is uh, 13th to 14th century and that's when the hesychast controversy really looms in the east right um, and so i think he's 14th century so he's kind of late byzantine uh, yeah. And the Hesychist uh, uh, movement is there's some con- controversy, and he writes mm. in defense of that movement. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and what's interesting is is in the East the way they resolve it is is by landing at the idea that theology is mystical and mysticism is theological. That's kind of like a the roughest shorthand, I think. Yes. Um, um, the the, rush, the the roughest and least elegant <laughs> summary I think I can I can arrive at, um, but so 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 firstly like is it possible just to summarize or briefly like what Palamas was putting forward because he he speaks about um, you know hesychasm is the is the light of God, and so firstly what is that and and then secondly there's the distinction between the essence of God and the energies of God, um, you, you know, uh, you know, can you chew through that for us quickly? And then Steve and I will poke with some questions. <laughs> sure. Uh, and, and I have to, I have to say that uh, I'm in the early stages of, uh, of exploration of this. So I'm by no means uh, an expert nor able to uh, speak with authority on it, but the idea is that God is, uh, that's, God is transcendent in God's essence, that God is unknowable, uh, which 
uh, Karl Barth would would affirm, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of thing. And uh, and yet God is knowable in the sense that God reveals self through uh, the uncreated energies, uh, these mm-hmm. um, expressions of God's power, presence, purpose, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and therefore we can participate with God. And the, the goal here ultimately is, is full, um, full participation with God, which would be union with God and in the context of, of ultimate, which would be theosis or, or um, deification, that um, immortality, essentially immortality. We share, we share the, 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 um, the immortality that is God. Uh, and that is our uh, that is our, our goal. Hesychism is a seen as a me, uh, a means towards that uh, mm-hmm. through an ascetic prayerful life. Um, so as I explore Palamas in his ideas, I'm not necessarily embracing hesychism. Uh, that's not who I am. Um, but the the theological component of this sense that God is both transcendent and separate from us. Uh, and yet, at the same time, accessible um, to us through God's energies. And Palamas uses this idea as an analogy of the different, you know, the, the sun itself versus uh, being the essence uh, and the rays, the warmth that comes from the sun as being the, 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 um, the energies of God. So we experience that. And therefore, yeah. as we experience that, we do have an experience of God's presence, even though we don't know or experience God in God's essence. So mm-hmm. that, that remains separate and unknowable, but mm-hmm. we still can participate and be in relation with God. I mean, that's how I'm, I'm reading it. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I, uh, in the whole open and relational conversation the the idea that you know that god is uh, uh, affected by you know there's a strong re- reaction among many uh, especially the process oriented but others within mm-hmm. the, of cla- against classical theism uh you know gregory would be a classical theist you know he's 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 not he's he believes that uh or doesn't believe that we add to God um, by our actions, um, but uh, we receive from God. So that's why I, could, I, I say in the essay that uh, I'm not sure that Gregory would see himself as an open and relational theologian, but it gives me some <laughs> something to to explore. And and uh, and, w- and one of the things you know from this whole open and relational cons- conversation. Which is why I'm uh, maybe I'm heretical in that group uh, is that um, part of my 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 background being a historical theologian that I, that's how I define myself is that I'm I'm always looking at the ways in which the traditions of the church communicate the faith, pass it on. And one of the concerns I have, especially with, uh, I, I jokingly say about my my process friends, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. because Whitehead is so essential to process theologian is I'm not, 
theology is I'm not ready to accept uh, Whitehead into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. <laughs> uh, and so I feel like uh, there, there's, there must be um, theology, there must be components, there must be elements that, that predate the, you know, the, the Enlightenment that can inform the way we think about God. And mm. so uh, the Cappadocians, the um, Palamas, um, Augustine. Now, mm. Augustine is not popular in, in open and relational uh, circles, but I find some things about Augustine quite helpful. So I'm not anti-Augustine either. Yeah. So, mm. um, so I'm a very, that's where my, <laughs> I, I, I'm willing to draw from, um, from wherever, whatever wells um, seem to provide some sense of, of, of resource for exploring well, my faith. Well, well, I love that you define yourself as an eclectic theologian because, because it gives you a lot of permission. It's, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like I made up a new word the other day, plagiarism. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, like <laughs> where, where, where you can draw on, on different things. And, and, and the reality is that, that many of these different theological streams are quite helpful, mm -hmm. um, whereas they can become quite pathological if you only stay within one. And, you know, as you say, you know, you, you're not necessarily making the sign of the cross every time Whitehead's name is affirmed, right? That's right. <laughs> or, or someone makes a reference to him. So, 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 what's interesting in many ways is, is I feel like the Western theological stream is largely rooted in in a fall narrative, and the Eastern stream is rooted in a theosis theosis narrative, um, as as what they have as primary. So, although they would affirm similar things in the East around you know, original sin and that at the forefront is not humanity's separation from God, but the good news is humanity's relational unity with God in this life. Yes. Um, and and one of the things that I that I that I that I liked, and it's a it's an interpretation. So I'd I'd love some clarity on this, is that is that when you refer to God's energies as God's power, presence, and purpose, you're including the gifts of the spirit in that. And you're including the the charismata, the charismatic expressions and the Pentecostal expressions and that kind of stuff as well. And so in some senses, there's a, there's a bridge here between um, the charismatic and the Pentecostal, perhaps even the third wave charismatic and um, an open and relational theology in a very fruitful way. Yeah. Um, like, like, is that, is that an idea that you would, you'd, you'd be going with? And am I reading you correctly? Yeah, uh, I know, and and I was reading an essay last night about Palamas and the in the essence energies uh, that I hadn't read before I wrote the essay. I just read it last night because I'm working on something else, and um, and the and the the author makes a, a clear that for Palamas that when he talks about energies, he's talking about in a trinitarian way so that mm. not a so i may have uh, interpreted that mm. in a way in the way i expressed the the charismata uh, mm. in that in a way that gregory probably would not embrace because i made a distinction between the holy spirit in that context um and the energy so i'm, I'm kind of make kind of mixing them together 
Um, but being an eclectic theologian, I I I, uh, I feel uh, I can I can I can mess that up. Um, but that does it does remind me that I I need to do a little bit more exploration on that. So I'm, I'm maybe uh, I can uh, represent Palamas in a in a in a more in the way Palamas would uh, want to be represented. Uh, at the same time, I I'm finding that the Eastern tradition in a lot of different ways, uh, does, it doesn't, it lack, in, some of the things that, that go back to Augustine and, mm -hmm. and Anselm, and especially in terms of the way we understand atonement and sin, mm -hmm. they're not present in the Eastern tradition. Uh, they, no, they, no, because, because they, they, they started, I, I'm going to borrow, um, um, we had a guest on, on, on Monday, he used the word trail lid. The, the eastern trailhead is theosis. The western trailhead is is is, is separation. You know, so, mm -hmm. um, and so in, in this sense, one doesn't find the same kind of clarity on things that one is so comfortable with and so and that are so present and so dominant in the western thinking. You know, um, so so for instance, Palamas is very process oriented, as are the are the Hesychas, because for them. They're continuing that early life of of you. You're not withdrawing from life to to a life of prayer. You're withdrawing in order to participate, you know, for Palamas in the uncreated energies of God. You're withdrawing in order to experience God drawing near to you through right. those energies, and that 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 immediacy of God's presence is what one is seeking, with the expectation that the way in which God drew near within biblical text in scripture, such as, you know, um, Jesus um, or uh, Moses, you know, that, that defined presence that comes near, or, or, or should I say the tangible presence that comes near, this is, those are manifestations. That's, that's the, God's energies in operation, God's presence, God's power, God's tangible presence, you know, um, tangible interaction, the felt experience of God. And uh, and basically, um, Palamas is one who really, in the East, resolves resolves this, which provides the foundation that enables them to to resolve it against the hostile criticisms, um, because it, it's a little bit of a challenge to go like, what does it mean to experience God? What does it mean to know God? Um, and so, if God is primarily transcendent, that God can't be known through reason. Right. Um, and 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 as I understand Palamas, he basically he he engages and it goes. Reason can can potentially help us understand something of God, but we hit the wall of mystery and we hit the wall of the of the apophatic of the unknowing of basically right. going. We can't actually through reason speak about this, but if God draws near to us in person we can we can borrow and lend from reason to help explore this and explain this and understand right and, and so for him as far as i understand it although god as transcended completely transcends the senses god is actually essentially known um god is viscerally known god is is is, is known by affection by being touched um and that's and that in that engagement people are actually transformed that that's right. where people are really transformed. So, so in some ways, we've got a we, we've we've got a Western approach to spiritual disciplines that 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 people like the Hesychast would go, hang on, you're missing something, because the spiritual disciplines alone um, results in 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 yes, change and development of the person, 
but the engagement with God results in the transformation. And that transformation is at every level of the person. And it's vital that we have this transformation because that's 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 how we healed and restored is through engagement with God. And then we become God's biotheosis. We become like God by spending time with God and God transforming us into God's likeness. Um, and so there's a separation between the notion of image and likeness that I that, that I don't think I found as similarly within the Western traditions or Western theology. Yeah. It, you know, and I think, the, you know, the Western tradition of which I've imbibed, there's a very much of an, and I, and I would th- say that my, my own faith experience is a very activist experience in the sense of being engaged in community, in the community, in advocacy, in, um, you know, the, the interfaith work that I do, um, you know, the, the reaching out, building bridges. So it's a very much an activist faith. Mm-hmm. Um, where, for the most part, I think the Eastern tradition is is it's not passive, but uh, but it's it's different, and and maybe that's what I'm 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 finding attractive is that it provides. In, <laughs> now that I'm 63 in my old age, um, <laughs> a, a sense of how do I sustain? How do I sustain? How do I how do I continue my faith tradition, my faith life as I age? And am no longer able to be as active uh, as I have been. Um, maybe it's time to to step back. And and I've noticed that for many, um, not many, but for a, a number of older as we as we grow older, older than I am, for persons in their seventies and eighties, um, they 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 find themselves able better able to to do that, to, to let go, uh, and to, to be, and to experience God's presence without the, the need to be busy. And maybe yeah. that's part of who I am. I've been, I, I keep busy. Even here now in retirement, I'm mm-hmm. like, I've got 90 things going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think in some ways, uh, Norman Russell puts it as, uh, as saying that, that the results of, experiencing the energy of God and the presence of God in that sense is wisdom and virtue. And, and so, um, you know, one arrives at inner peace and stillness, but, but I struggle with the Western use of the word passive because I don't think it's a good translation of what they were saying, you know, in in the way that words translate over time, it's a practice of receptivity. It's not a practice of passivity. Right. And, and in that receptivity to the presence of God, they're no less receptive to the world that's around them, because often it's these monastics or these mystics that have played guiding roles in the world around them. So, so they haven't necessarily adopted a, um, like a modern kind of activism. Um, and it certainly resulted in, in so much, you know, there's a center for contemplation and action, for instance, Richard Raw and, 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 and company, where they tease this out and they, they elaborate on that. But, but certainly none of these monastics withdrew from the world to stay away from the world. You know, in, in drawing near to God, they come back into relationship, oddly enough. Right. Even the most aesthetic or, you know, um, is the word eremitic? 
I, I want to say aromatic, but aromatic is definitely wrong. <laughs> but perhaps they are a little bit aromatic. If you live on, a, on your own in a room somewhere, you're going to be a bit aromatic. It's very aromatic. <laughs> uh, the, the incense is very aromatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I think I, I, what, what I was excited about what I, from, from reading your stuff that I felt that you were putting on the table is that they're not just talking about wisdom and you're not just talking about wisdom and virtue. You're also putting the elements of empowerment on the table with the reference mm -hmm. to the gifts and that sense of, of an open and relational theology. It's not just the, it's not just the change of the mind of going, Oh, if God loves me, therefore the following must follow and using just the art of reason or the science of reason to pursue that. But the sense of going, if God loves me, then surely God is, you know, if not in essence, then in energy going to engage me and draw near to me, you know, yeah. that I'm going to go to even song services and I'm going to experience that presence of God. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Bob, I'm, a, I'm aware that we are probably coming to the end of our kind of allotted time together, but I wondered if, uh, if in bringing this to land, I might give you a couple of popcorn questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, just around open and relational theology, which uh, you know you've 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 written about and is part of your eclectic constellation. So yeah. if you're open for that, I'd love to just fire off a couple sure. of those, and you can give uh, give some responses, and then we'll bring this to land. Cool. <clears throat> okay. Awesome. So, uh, what what was your first exposure to open and relational theology? Where did you first hear about it or come across it? Read uh, the person, uh, what, whatever that might be. Give us a quick uh, quick history tour that brought you into contact with it. So I I, I kind of would put it in two parts. I mm. knew of and, ex and engaged in conversation with folks in the process uh, theology unit. Uh, being a disciple uh, and educated in Southern California and Claremont being a primary uh, place which uh, mm. a process is present. So process is very prominent within disciples. Mm. And so part of that is simply mm. just that engagement with process, which I find part elements of it attractive, but, um, but I'm not uh, wanting to go all the way in. Mm -hmm. uh, I, found, I had some conversations and early on at some point, turn that off, uh, the, the, um, with Philip Clayton, uh, I did some reading of his work and then had some conversation with Philip that was interesting. And then um, I got to know uh, Bruce uh, Epperly, who's a process theologian, but a very mystical process theologian. He mixes in the mystical with the, with the process in a way that not everybody does, mm -hmm. uh, and then I got I got to know Tom uh, over the over the years, and so uh, part of that is simply just getting to know him. Mm. Tom and I aren't always on the same page, but but I um, but I've appreciated his openness and welcome to mm. a, a diverse expression of mm. of that. But I think I'll add one element more into that. And that's uh, the influence of Moltmann. Uh, my engagement with Moltmann okay. that goes back to seminary, I think more than anything, uh, provided me with a, a vision of God being present into a future that is not fully known or developed. Mm. So if anything, it's probably Moltmann is the, is the definitive piece to all of this. Oh, mm. awesome. 
That's awesome. And, yeah. and you're kind of already nodding at my second question here, I think. But um, so if you had to highlight a couple of areas that really what grabbed you around open and relational theology, what, what sparked your interest and had you going, yes, we're onto something here. I want to get into this a little further. I, I think it, it really has to do with the sense that, and I, I think it's always been there, that I, I never believed that everything was predetermined. Mm. So I, I think it's simply the sense that the future is open and that it, mm. uh, we get to help write that. Um, I, I think it was simply that, that, that mm. uh, and what that meant, um, you know, the relational part, I think I discovered later, but it was mm. the sense that, yes, the future is open, that it's not re- predetermined. And that, and the, you know, the tradition that the disciples, Stone Campbell tradition it's kind of an anti-Calvinist uh, tradition um, that kind of rejected the idea of predestination. So I think that was, it was an element of my own, you know, acceptance of that tradition involved a sense of uh, rejecting the idea that things are predetermined. But I think it's a sense of openness to the future, a future that has yet to be determined, that, uh, tr- that I believed in, and then this gave me the words and the theology to, to define it. Mm. Mm. And, and you're writing your books that you mentioned earlier. Do those track with open and relational theology? Do they sort of run within parallel streams? Um, how would you re- relate your, your, your sort of your broader writing context with open and relational theology in terms of your work and what people can go and look up and read and access I think they're, they kind of run in parallel. They weren't written with as a, you know, with I'm an open and uh, renew, uh, relational theologian, therefore I'm writing from that perspective. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, but I think that they track well uh, with, with that. I think this, this idea, so in Called to Bless, which is my latest book, mm. um, which is rooted in, in some st- stuff that I did with my, my sabbatical in 28, 2013, which was to explore dimensions of my own, my own journey, a uh, spiritual mm. journey. And then as I was putting that together, uh, the question is, I, I was went looking for a thread, a, a, a biblical thread to tie it together uh, and, uh, and, discovered or not discovered but realized that a good thread that would tie it together is uh the um is god's call of abraham uh and the the that through god's through abraham's descendants uh the nations would be blessed and that seemed to track well with my own sense of calling that um that i am that's who i am that i'm if you ask people who know me well, uh, they would say that that I am a person who seeks to build bridges among communities and groups, and so that that sense of blessing, that uh, that the promise there uh, that God makes to Abraham seems like a a great way of of tying things together in terms of who I am. So. Is that open and relational? I think so. I think it tracks with it. I don't know that that 
that many open relational theologians. I don't know if Tom Ord or or uh, uh, any uh, John Sanders have, have explored that dimension uh, mm. in the way that I have, but I, but I think it fits. Well, well, I would think I would think in broad strokes as opposed to um, in the sense of of when someone tries to collate it and 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 part, you know tries to put capital letters to it. <laughs> You know, in that sense, it's 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 necessarily part of the the group that self identifies particularly around that. But in terms of your 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 eclectic approach, and in terms of your relational and pastoral approach, and you know, certainly not by 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 not buying into the Calvinistic predeterminism, it does make it open and relational in that sense, in in the broadest possible sense. Right. So yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. I like that. So I know you. I know you uh, talked to uh, Rory a, a little, Randall, mm. a bit, mm. and, I, and I read and reviewed his book. Um, mm. So he, I know he was rooting a lot of what he had to say uh, into we, into Wesleyanism, into Wesley. Mm. Uh, so I'm not Wesleyan. I'm, you know, I'm, I have Anglican background, but not the Wesleyan side of things. Mm. So uh, you know, so my theology isn't really informed by Wesley though a lot of open relational folks are, yeah. um, but it's a, what's, I think that the thing about open relational theology is it's very, it's, it's, a, it's a broad tent. I mean, you've got Seventh-day Adventists and, and uh, uh, process theologians and everyone in between. So um, it's no, broad no, enough that I, very, that I can much find aggregate. myself present there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, flippantly, I would respond, it is open theology. So that's Yeah, it really is. <laughs> so, and and it I'm is very process-oriented in, my, in the way I do things. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. I mean, we'll definitely, um, we're going to look up the, the links or we'll get those from you in terms of your books and your writing that <laughs> we can place in the show notes so people can access that for themselves. I appreciate um, And that. it's really helpful how you've positioned that in terms of you know, part of this mini series is for us to explore open and relational theology and people who are either sort of, you know, main focus writing and exploring there or brushing shoulders with it, etc. Um, and the rest of it is for us to continue just good conversations with interesting people who've got interesting stories mm -hmm. and backgrounds, etc. And so it's helpful for you to position that there. Um, mm -hmm. And that people can go and access your access your writing. Well, thank you. Uh, so thanks for that. Yeah yeah thank you and um yeah you know thanks so much for joining for joining us this is yeah i've, I've you yeah, know it's been great you. to connect with you and um you know there's the, 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 there's these sneaky things that happen happens in the sense that you never really retire from ministry so yeah. as you say you've got 90 things on the go and uh you know may you just uh, continue moving into the things that that you enjoy that give your life that really speak to your sense of calling it adventure mm -hmm. But I'll add one last thing is uh, mm. uh, Ron Allen, who is process oriented, uh, mm. and I are writing a book uh, for a general audience on eschatology. So um, mm. I'm really looking at the future. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's, awesome. That's, that's awesome. I mean, it's, uh, um, yeah, very good thing to look at as a <laughs> very pertinent topic mm. right. for open and relational theologians. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, Bob, from my side as well, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's lovely to have met you and to have been able to have such a long, wonderful conversation with you. Thank you for the stories that you've shared. 
and the insight and your thinking. Um, we really appreciate your time. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was very much a, a great opportunity to have conversation. So I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm.